0: So um, many people had uh, been listening when I proposed that uh, Benjamin Siegel speak with me on the air regarding uh, my recent trips to Israel. We had an opportunity to do that yesterday and to air it this morning here at JM in the AM. So without any further ado, here's what that conversation sounded like here at uh, JM in the AM. JM in the AM on a Monday morning, and I am uh, privileged and honored to have a special partner in our studio to conduct a conversation about some of the things that I experienced in Israel recently. Uh, some of you may have been tuned in when I got into the discussion on the air in Israel about who would be an appropriate person to speak to me about um, what I saw, heard, and felt in Israel. And many people recommended and suggested. Benjamin siegel and sure enough Benjamin siegel is here good morning Benjamin. good morning thank you so much for having me it's you- a pleasure to be here <laughs> it's great to have you here and i look forward to this conversation i uh, wonder what it is that you're going to be asking about but i would love to use this opportunity to educate people more and more about what's happening in the holy land
1: yeah and i was so excited when you asked me about this because you've been to israel three times since october 7th i've yeah. been to israel zero times the only uh, experience i've had with israel is speaking to you uh while you're there and understanding what's going on on the ground and seeing uh what people are going through and asking you uh what's happening so I'm very very excited to be able to learn more in a more formal setting as well appreciate that um so I'll definitely start then um and I think the the question that all of us here as American jury are asking, what is the mood on the ground in Israel? Not everyone has been there. Not everyone has experienced it. A lot of people have done whatever they can here. But what is the general mood on the ground? And how has it changed in your three trips from the first, to the second, to the third?
0: Well, I think it's hard to um, uh, sum it up in a couple of short sentences, but I'm going to try because uh, it can be very effective that way. Uh, when I got to Israel the first time, after the uh, terrible tragedy I I would say that uh everybody was in a state of complete shock um they had been hit with a with a um a a terrible brutal attack so hard and uh it was it it was a a, an entire population of people trying to just process what they had been been through uh, and the brutality of it and the uh and the speed of it, and the uh, lack of of intelligence and defense for it, and I think all of that was evidence uh, was evident in the first trip. And it takes a while, you know, when someone gets you know hit in the gut, hit in the mouth. It takes a, a minute or two to to come back to yourself. And I think that that whole period of time was sort of like that. I remember the first time I was there, there was no war yet, there was no ground offensive, so it was really just everyone thinking about the hostages. Um, the the terrible episode they had all just been through, and uh, thinking about when is this war going to start already because there was such a desire to get things going in terms of uh, I don't want to use the word revenge, but in terms of justice against the enemy. Uh, the second trip was more of a um, um, was more of a, uh, a a calmer situation in Israel. Some of the hostages had been released. Uh, the ground offensive had already begun. And uh, people felt like there was, you know, that victory was imminent. It may not be uh, uh, imminent, meaning, you know, in a few days or a few weeks, but imminent, hopefully, in the long run, that the government and the army understands the reality of having to eradicate the enemy. And the third time, which was just, you know, uh, a couple of weeks, which was just last week, uh, back last Sunday, was, um, as I kept saying on the air, was uh, it, it was hard to avoid the constant discussion about the hostages, not a criticism. Uh, not to the families or the media. It's a topic that needs to be out there. But it's depressing when you think about the situation that the uh, hostages are in, 13 Shabbatot and captive. God knows what's happening with them. And then, of course, if it's not hostages, it's fallen soldiers. So many funerals, so many shivas, so many um, um, you know, depressing episodes. Um, so it, it's different each time. Like For instance, I went to Barrie last Sunday, and, um, I guess at this point, two Sundays ago, and I said to myself, you know, everyone who was down there right after the brutal attack saw death and destruction. We just saw destruction. We didn't see the death. We imagined it as we were told what was going on in the specific streets that we were on and the specific homes that we were in. But we had not seen the, the, the death that so many people saw right after, uh, the attack and uh, but the, uh, honestly the destruction was enough just to see what had happened inside the homes and what people had experienced and what the communities now look like and how much they need to rebuild was enough for us frankly um at least for me at this time so this was the range of emotions and the range of impressions and uh israel's going through a tough time uh, israel's going through a tough time but i think every every few days every few weeks it's a different type of emotion there
1: wow that is, it's a lot, a lot to yeah. take in, a lot to be able to process. It kind of sounds like you went through your own sort of mourning period throughout the three uh, visits as well. Where
0: yeah, I'd call it more grief than mourning because there's just so much, there, there's so many different things that you're that you're grieving for: civilians, army missing, um, you know, just the whole idea of being, uh, you know, victims of a surprise attack. There's just so much going on, and the future. You worry about what the future holds. And everyone has an opinion. (laughs) So it's a, uh, it is a full range of emotions, no doubt.
1: What is the mood politically there? Is it uh, everyone wants to change right now? Or is everyone kind of uh, understanding that we have to get through this war and we'll figure it out later?
0: I think that, um, you know, in all fairness, a lot of people do the whole, we should get through the war and worry about that later. I don't know if that's fair. Because I think people want to be reassured that in the future, there'll be strong leadership. That there's someone coming up in the ranks, whether we've heard of them till this point or not, who's going to be able to navigate the situation. I mean, frankly, don't you think that at this point, no matter where you are in the political spectrum, we have to have someone leading Israel that at least can give the impression that they are a unifier. You know, at least give the you know the spirit to the country that you know we have this tremendous achdos, we have all this unity that we've all been experiencing. Let's try to maintain some of that as we go forward politically. And I don't know if that person is on the political is in the political arena yet in Israel. I have no idea. They might be, they may not be. But I don't know if it's fair. People always say, you know, let's deal with the war now, and then we'll deal with the investigations and this and that. I mean, I was one of the people who called for the prime minister to resign immediately. I thought it was, I thought that would be the best for the country. Okay, I don't know if I was right or not. A lot of, a lot of experts say I was wrong. <laughs> but um, but I, I think it is fair that people, you know, think about... Um, what the future holds. You know, it's funny that just last week, the prime minister insisted that he's not leaving his position. I said to myself, you know, like if if we really are going to do what's best for the country now, wouldn't it be better not to say things like that? So uh, if he's going to be out there insisting that he's staying, I don't think it's so bad that people are out there thinking who's going to be next to take us forward.
1: Yeah, that that (laughs) definitely makes sense. And it's you know one of the coolest things and less least spoken about i think uh about the entire october 7th episode and uh, the aftermath is that there are a lot of groups that were already formed uh who were against the uh, judicial reform and in other countries and with other people not they wouldn't necessarily have pivoted to be able to just go ahead and take all that organizational power that they have had and all the volunteers they had and turn it into a completely this related mission. And I'm not just talking about it from the left and from mm-hmm. the right. I'm talking about it from both sides. Um, and I think that's something special and something that we hope to continue. Has there, have you seen anything on the ground like that been speaking to people who you wouldn't traditionally speak to uh, or uh, groups that you wouldn't traditionally speak to or hearing from people who are speaking to groups they wouldn't traditionally speak to and how they're able to come together? Or is that not something
0: that we're seeing? Oh, I think we're seeing it to a point that we've never seen it before. It's remarkable to me that um, everyone really does feel like everyone's a brother and sister now. We've always said it and we've always, you know, known how to put it in words. (laughs) But now it really does feel like people have this tremendous care and concern for everybody, no matter what their background is. You know, look, sometimes, you know how it is with our people, sometimes um, automatically um, when something bad happens to a specific group or people of a specific background, people will start judging what they were or were not doing that day or what types of activities they are or are not um, engaged in. We haven't heard any of that, which is unbelievable. And by the way, both sides are guilty of it, uh, generally. We haven't heard a word of that, which I think is incredible. And, and you know, people lament already, oh, this feeling of unity is not going to last. I hate to tell you, uh, or I'd love to tell you, I don't know if it's, it may not last to the degree that we have it now, but it it would be impossible for me to believe that a remnant of this is not going to stick around, that some aspect of this unified effort is not going to, yeah, there'll be political fights and there'll be arguments and there may be rallies and protests again, you know, against each other someday, who knows. But it's hard for me to believe with everything that's happening that there isn't going to be some type of uh, residual unity that remains after all this is over. So you think that there will be dialogue between people and able
1: to have more communication as opposed to just getting into the streets and uh, I think immediately? I
0: think that's dependent on who it is, on who the leader is. I think if it's somebody who really has a vision like that, um, you know, <laughs> I hope the left doesn't mind me saying this, but if a Reagan-esque figure <laughs> arises in Israel who sincerely wants to bridge gaps and get people to talk more than yell and scream... Then I think there is some hope. Again, I don't know who that is. I hope that person does exist and that they're going to have an opportunity to, to make their position and and their and their feelings known on these matters. But um, but that's the hope. The hope is that we'll be led by the right person or the right people, who will understand that dialogue and brotherhood outweighs all the other stuff that we've been through. Yeah that that would be that would be the dream. Yeah.
1: What are the um. You know we in America always talk about what we could do for Israel, and obviously the obvious answer is always money we can give money, we can give support um, I've heard a lot of stories about people uh, including from Yoshua, uh, my brother, your son, and his wife Tamima, who were brought letters to Israel and uh, handed it to the soldiers and you would think that the soldiers were handed a million dollar check how <laughs> how well they reacted and how much they loved it and all those small things, but is there something more is there something larger uh, is there something different than the community can be doing showing support um being there for people, uh, traveling there, talking to people in Israel, checking in
0: on your family. Is there anything that they could be doing? That's, well, I think people are help. checking in on their family and friends, yeah. you know, thank God. I, I wish they'd be traveling more. I think it's a, uh, you know, sometimes you're in a, you're, you know, there during the week where there's a lot of people you think, Oh wow, look how much, you know, travels back, tourism's back. But I don't think that's true tourism, uh, to the level that we need it. Um, I hope that that returns. Um, during wartime, it's hard to expect it, but I hope it returns, but it's funny with the soldiers, because when I I saw the soldiers on the first trip and I, and I asked them about the letters, you know, and they spoke about how meaningful it was to them. And back then I had the same reaction. I was like, you don't just toss them in the garbage. (laughs) Like, why on earth do you want letters from people in America? No, they, they hang them up on the bulletin boards of the base, you know, in the, uh, in the mess tent, so to speak. So everyone could see them. Some of them actually go to sleep with some of these letters next to them. Like they feel a tremendous connection to the children and to the adults around the world who are communicating with them and reassuring them and blessing them, etc. That, that's unbelievable. Look, what, what could people do? I would lo- and Aside from the money, which you, you, know, you noted is pretty significant, thank God, uh, I would love for people to do more advocacy in Washington and on a local level. Uh, I don't know how we can't um, mobilize. I don't know why we're not mobilizing you know, um, people in every community in the United States to call the Red Cross every day. Uh, and again, you know, I know the Red Cross, many people say that it's, you know, a, a, as we say in Hebrew, a of avatola. But still, I think they should, they need to be communicated to every day. The United Nations has to be communicated to. There's certain members of Congress, uh, both those who are traditionally not favorable to Israel and those like John Fetterman, who has been, you know, so out there in support of Israel, they need to be, you know, communicated with. They need to be told, you know, what the truth is. And in Fetterman's case, they need to be complimented and thanked for what they've been doing. So I just wish people were a little bit more, if, if we're not going to travel to Israel en masse, then at the minimum I would hope that they would, you know, that people in our community would would take that role on of just being in touch with members of Congress and being in touch with those agencies that are key i think on paper at least in the uh release of our hostages yeah
1: that 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 is a something that everyone should really be doing and it's free it doesn't cost them anything it costs a couple minutes of time everyone could find a few minutes to do that and it's really really important uh both the positive and the negative by the way they should you should be calling to think also because there is nothing that uh you know they want to hear more is that when they're in a tough position and taking a really really strong stance and a sometimes unpopular opinion uh, in this country now unfortunately they should be thanked for their stance no question um i want to pivot a little bit and just ask uh specifically about your trip and there are a lot of missions going to israel now uh from the states and it's really really amazing uh i know a lot of people who have went on these missions and they've you know talked about how life-changing it is uh you've gone on your own sort of mission. It's unique in that it's uh, your own with your, uh, you know, you, you bring 20,000 or however many people are, are there every single day with you, uh, tens of thousands of people with you um, every single day uh, on your mission. Uh, What was the most uh, impactful moment of all three trips and one that you carry with you today?
0: Oh boy. Um, well, it's hard not to, you know, mention the visit to Barry and to Stay Road. Stay road uh, because I'd been there so many times, and I've seen the community there so active. And I've passed that police station dozens of times, and now it's completely flooded. There's nothing there on that plot. Uh, so that's, that's, you know, that's difficult. Um, I, I saw pictures of uh, which I think the New York Times printed, if I'm not mistaken, uh, pictures of people being killed in the stay road at a certain bus stop area, uh, literally just gunned down by the enemy. So I was there. I was there on the spot. And I think that that was, maybe those maybe that's the answer to your question, th- those moments where I saw where the terrorists breached the gate in Barry. And I was standing on the street where they had no more room in the cars that were that were kidnapping people, so they just murdered them on the spot. Um, you know, th- th- those for some reason, that, 3D experience of seeing the beautiful neighborhood and what's happened to it, that to me was, was very, very impactful. Even with being inside the safe rooms that people were killed in and being in homes that were, you know, bulldozed so that the enemy can get to, the, to, the, uh, to our brothers and sisters and, and all these, and all those were, believe me, they left an impression. But that whole 3D approach, you know, not seeing it in video or picture form, but being there on the street. And imagining what had gone on there, being told what had gone on there, and then you know seeing it somewhat in front of you, um, it was a tremendous impact. Um, I think my interview with the Israeli soldiers was a, yeah. you know, was something that was very meaningful. That seeing the spirit of um, of this generation of both Israeli and Americans who are now serving in the IDF is pretty remarkable. Um, and that was uh, certainly impactful, um, a lot of great moments, the Pollard interview and Tzviya Kelly explaining all of this to us because he's such an expert on how Arabs think and, uh, you know, and, and is an expert at telling us how we have no idea how they think. (laughs) So that was really cool. Um, those are some of the highlights. Uh Wow. So I think one of the things that, uh, has
1: been less spoken about or people have not, uh, I have not heard about it as much is that there are both ki- there are kids, very young kids in Israel and that there is a next generation that's about to go into the army. Um, and I think that that could be very scary for parents in Israel, for kids, for American parents whose kids want to make Aliyah, um, you know, in a lot of ways, the last 20 years going into the army was a really amazing, beautiful thing, but it was a little less scary in that we weren't in an active war. Um, is there a message that you can take from the people of Israel, especially to American parents uh, whose kids are about to go into the army or, or are going to go in March, uh, which is a big time to uh, uh, join? Uh, is there something that you could say to them about uh, any sort of physic or, well, or I mean, positive I, message? I, first of all,
0: <laughs> I'm uncomfortable with this because I've never had that um, experience of not sleeping at night. Okay. Um which I, it, it, and I know people say, you know, it's cliché-ish, but I have friends in Israel with kids in the army, and it's literal. It is very hard for them to sleep at night, especially the mothers. Yeah. And who could blame them? Um, and there have been conflicts in the last, you know, many years, even before this, where, where you know, we've lost soldiers, and, yeah. it's, and it's devastating. Um, but I would, the only chizuk, or the only observation I can make that would be at all um, comforting, I don't even know if that's the right word, is that the spirit of the youngsters who are in the army is off the charts. It, it is absolutely remarkable. You would think that there'd be an ounce of fear in some of them. And their resolve is just amazing. And I think it's like this all the time, but now it's on steroids. Um, you know, Tzviya Kelly in the conversation that we had, um, I, I said to him that you've been quoted as saying that... Uh, that that you've observed that this group of soldiers is committed to this effort at a level you've never seen before, yeah. and he said that this group of soldiers was born it was born before they were able to um, remember the Oslo Accords. They, they they were born in an era post Oslo Accords, disengagement time, and all they ever heard about was uh, uh, they never heard of peace treaties. All they ever heard about was bus bombings and terror attacks, and you know every day waking up to more disaster. And therefore, they're very determined to go ahead and, and win this thing. Uh, unlike some of the commanders, he said, who are of an older age and still <laughs> and still can't shake the education they were given about the possibility of a two-state solution, etc. All right, so he's from a certain uh, vantage point, so that's how he put it. Uh, but I think that the you, you can't deny the unbelievable um, spirit and resolve, uh, commitment, that this group of soldiers has at every level, at every single level, whether they ber- they're 18 or they're 22 or are they're in the Air Force or they're behind a computer or they're in Chevron doing Miluim because others who are normally in Chevron doing Shmirah have to go to Gaza, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and the list goes on and on. And it does apply, I think, uh, to a great extent to those in Miluim who are older as well, despite his theory. One of the things that
1: we've been... Uh that I, I know you have a very, very strong relationship with Nefesh B'nefesh and all that they do and everything that they've uh, accomplished, and it's really amazing. Uh, and I've heard rumors about the uptick in Aliyah applications. Uh, is that true, and yeah. is that something that's uh, that on the ground people are talking about and people are thinking about, and what is their reaction to it?
0: Well, it's definitely true. The numbers bear it out every single time there's a conflict. Imagine this, a full-scale war. The numbers are way up. Um, I think both Israelis and Anglos living in Israel uh, as opposed to making fun of us for, you know, for, for this tremendous increase in interest to move to Israel, I think they're, they're sort of telling us uh, or suggesting to us, why aren't you here already? Like, look what's happening. You know, this is, this is the, uh, uh, the ultimate is to eventually get to Israel. Now you have to make that move. And I think that that's been their attitude. At least that's what I have felt. Nobody's really making fun. If anything, they're just encouraging people to, you know, they're, they're afraid for us. They're worried about us. It is a precarious situation here in the United States, and they're concerned about that. Um, So that's the first thing I would say. And um, it's reminiscent to me of when there there was this Ethiopian young exchange student, uh, a Jewish Ethiopian at our Shabbos table, and he was describing to us all the trials and tribulations of getting his family to Israel, of them trying to go through the Aliyah process, and they weren't allowed to. And hopefully eventually they will, which eventually they did months or years later, and he sat there at the Shabbos table saying to us, why are you here? <laughs> like, I, I just, I don't understand it. You have an opportunity to be in Israel easily. I, I Just explain to me why you're here. And he was totally sincere, like baffled by the whole thing. <laughs> like, he just couldn't, he couldn't process how he's sitting in a Jewish home in the United States. We're telling him that we could leave in days if we wanted to. And he's like trying to understand it when his family is sacrificing everything in order to make it happen from Ethiopia. So unfortunately, we didn't uh, listen to him or listen to that time. But now is the time to listen. And uh, the numbers, as you indicated, are bearing that out.
1: And I think uh, just I have one last question. And uh, I think both emotionally, uh, physically and mentally, How how is leaving Israel? How is it to leave all three times?
0: Um, nobody is enjoying leaving Israel now. I never thought I'd have that Feeling that it's so difficult to leave, nobody likes to leave now, uh, and everybody, even the tourist or a mission that's there just for a few days, feels it. But the most um, impactful thing that I noticed in this area is that um, people living in Israel who have to leave for business, who have to leave for work, who have to leave just to you know come in for twenty four hours, to take care of something, whatever, that they they just can't handle it. They cannot handle it. And and it's understandable why. Because, uh, you know, there are fallen soldiers all the time, and they're concerned about being out of the country when, God forbid, someone either close to them or someone they know, you know, uh, a family like that is suffering. And uh, and they feel bad that, uh, you know, everyone's here, and we're making this commitment to do everything in our power, as you described earlier, everything in our power to, to play our role in this thing. And now I'm going to leave? Now I'm going to... Even for a day or two, by the way, it's it's just... It's amazing to me what I hear from people, how uh, troubled they are by it. You have relatives, by the way, like this, who if you said to them today, leave, they would think a thousand, even for a simcha, they would think a thousand times before leaving because it's just, you know. And not only that, even if there's an uptick in the stress and anxiety, how can I leave my family? Right. Even the older people in my family, you know, I need to, to be here to be reassuring and take care of people. So it's, it's a, it, it, it is hard. I think on every level, it is, as always as difficult as it always is to leave Israel, it's nothing like now, it is very, very hard to leave israel and um let's hope that uh you know that uh, the need to leave Israel is not as great as the desire to go visit and eventually live in Israel, yeah coming from this side of the world yeah oh that's uh
1: that's a challenge to get out uh. <laughs> No question about that. It's a challenge that. to leave, and that's, uh, I guess, I guess a good thing in a lot of ways. And uh, I really appreciate your time, Dad. Uh, thank you so much for having thank me. Thank You
0: very much. Uh, <laughs> we, we always wondered who the best person was to elicit such responses uh, about the trips to Israel, and we found the right man. So thank you, Benjamin. More coming up. It's Monday at JM in the AM.